It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere playing at luckylandslots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It's a straight shooter himself, Craig Burley, that's on the phone with us today. Craig, what's the time over by the yard now? Uh, it's three o'clock and uh, here in the east coast of the US, and, or just after. And uh, fortunately we've just got rid of four months of winter. So the sun the, the sun, the sun, is shining at last. Generally, how are you enjoying life over there, all right? Yeah, yeah, great. I made a big decision... Um, in 2012-13, so to move here over here to ESPN, that was something that I'd been uh, working on for a long while with ESPN, even when I was working in the UK doing stuff for the US, and it was more a family decision because I had uh, primarily living and working in England, uh, but I was doing crazy amount during the week, you know, so it was it was more and travelling, so it was a family decision, but it's been, been great, and I don't miss the, the sort of what about tree that goes on. In fact, it's the right terminology, especially in and um, and Glasgow amongst the uh, the big two. And you still enjoying winding up Arsenal fans as well, aye? <laughs> well, it's the gift that keeps on giving at the moment, I think. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I'm, it's you know, I, I wasn't on social media until I came here, and uh, and I, and, I, and I, Join Twitter because it's a great information tool, especially, you know, been over here and and, uh, and try to keep up with all the news back in the UK in particular, sports news and general news. So, uh, But obviously that comes with that comes uh, the abuse. But, I'm, I, I, you know, if anybody was listening to this and thinking any of the abuse bothers me, they would be solely mistaken. There are certain people who shouldn't be on Twitter because... Uh, they're probably a bit thin-skinned and can't take it, but I, it's just, it just, I find it quite funny. I like to use it as more of a funny thing. So, um, yeah, we use, we use, we all use sort of social media in a, in a different way. Moving on to football-related stuff and talking about 
Celtic and pre-Celtic when you joined in 97, you were at Chelsea and you just won the FA Cup. So what prompted you to actually yeah. move up to Glasgow away from a relatively successful Chelsea team at the time? Well, I'd just been dropped for the FA Cup final. I'd just been left out after playing in the, the quarters and the semis. But uh, cut a long story short, Chelsea had, and I'd been at Chelsea since 16 and, and I'd been away from Ayrshire and, and, and Scotland since 16. But, uh, but, but Chelsea, it, Chelsea had offered me a new four-year contract uh, that included a testimonial. But, I, you know, I saw the way testimonials were going and and, and, the, and the financial offer wasn't very good for the homegrown players who came through the ranks considered to, uh, in relation to the big guys like Friali and Zola that were coming in. But we knew we were never going to get the same amount of wages, but, you know, maybe even 50% would have been nice. So, And I also knew that, uh, you know, two or three thousand people for a testimonial wasn't going to do anything. So the deal, the deal at Chelsea really stumbled. Um, and with a year left in my contract, I think that summer in 97... Chelsea decided to, to listen for offers because it became clear that I wasn't going to um, sign a contract. I had other options, I believe, at the time. I think I was, you know, a couple of other clubs in, in the Premier League at the time. It was ironic, really, because, you know, the whole Celtic thing started quite a way before this. Lou McCarry tried to take me to Stoke City when I was, I think, around 21 years old. Lou then left to go to Celtic. He then, I believe, tried to take me to Celtic. Didn't work out, Lou, and, and as you know, it didn't work out for Lou Celtic. He got the sack. Mm-hmm. And then Tommy Burns tried to take me to Celtic. God bless him, God rest his soul, what a lovely fella. Uh, Tommy tried to take me there, and I think it was through Andy Ritchie and, and David Hay in particular who were working behind the scenes. So the whole thing was put in motion for quite a while before Vim Janssen was even at the club. And so the whole history of it would go back pre-97 to David Hay and one or two others doing the homework and me possibly going to Celtic, but it didn't materialise until they put in that £2.5 million bid, I think, at the time, and, and, and Chelsea accepted. Thankfully they did, because um, you were a massive part of that season. But was it ever surprising to you that I know we talked off air um, just before we started recording here and you said you had no idea about stopping the 10 and just how massive that season was. Mm-hmm. But did you ever get swept up in any of it or was your feet firmly in the ground the whole time? No, no, I got swept up, didn't I? I got swept up in the whole thing and I knew I knew after a date, on my first day at Celtic, I knew what 10 in a row was and I knew what the task was. I didn't know when I got on the flight to come up and do my medical with Ree Brian Scott who was a physio at the time and talked to Jock Brown. I didn't know because that's what I was saying to you. It, it's, people don't realise with me, I, I, I was never really a follower of Scottish football when I was a, when I was 8, 9, 10, 11 years old. I actually went to Celtic a couple of times. My granddad on my mum's side had a bit of a leaning towards Celtic and he used to like to go now and again. So I think I went a couple of times as a youngster. But I didn't really go to, Celt- to, to Scottish games. I didn't follow... Scottish football in particular, I, I always had an ambition to go to England because my uncle was playing down there in a very successful Ipswich Town team with Bobby Robson and some great stars and had some great success and I just was focused on going down there. So when I when I did pitch up at Celtic in 97, I was, I wouldn't say ignorant, ignorant wouldn't be the word, but I think oblivious 
to what the task in hand was, but 100%, like I think most of the boys would tell you that you spoke to, 100%, I would say, got swept up in the emotion and the pressure of what then was in front of them and what was reminded to us almost on a daily basis by the supporters. A lot of the guys we've had on from the start of the 10th season, all the way from Mark Reaper to recently Johnny Gould, said that you were a mm-hmm. massive part of that dressing room. You were quite outspoken, but you could back it up. Would you agree with what they're saying? Well, I would be outspoken, yeah. But did I back it up? Yeah, I did back it up. But I mean, I didn't back it up to start with. Uh, and I knew I was under pressure. And I knew I had to convince the Celtic fans, uh, like anybody else. So I, I was worried when I came in, because it's a huge club. And, and there's 50, I think, with the building the new stand behind the, one of the ends at the time, it was, I think, around 50,000. But it's still a huge crowd to, to have to face every second week. So I was aware. And I, and I wasn't fit, Stevie, when I joined, because the Premier League and English League seasons were different timings, and we we were behind in terms of pre-season, and I missed another week to 10 days of pre-season. I was actually down at Nigel Mansell's hotel complex with Chelsea doing pre-season training down in Devon and Cornwall when I got the phone call get your backside to Glasgow we've accepted a bid we wanted to go and talk to them so I, I missed an unbelievable amount of pre-season training and that was one of the reasons why myself in particular struggled early on in that season the first two, three, four games mm-hmm. because I wasn't fit but yet Vim was in a scenario where he wanted to get everybody playing and he was trying to figure out his best team. Uh, we lost to to Hibs in the opening day. We lost to Dunfermline in the second game at home. And I, and I remember going over to the old jungle side to take a throw in near the end of the game. And, and a lone voice, but I don't think it was a lone voice, but it was the one I heard said, why don't you F off back to Chelsea? And I have to admit, at that time, I thought it was a great idea because we were getting pelters. Uh, and I was doing leg work after training during the week. Vim had me out on the pitch at Celtic Park after all the lads had gone home and were having their lunch. And I was doing box-to-box runs because he was trying to get me fit. Uh, so the whole thing was a struggle at the start. But I wouldn't say I was a, I wouldn't say I was any more of an outspoken person than, than quite a few of the lads in the dressing room. And, and, and I think that was what was good. In fact, I think that was what was great about that team is that there wasn't many, if any hid the light under the bushel when things were going bad. We had it out. Reaper would say his bit, Stubbs would say his bit, Larson would say, everybody, Jackie, the younger boys, Boydie, Tosh, you know, the Gildy, the list goes on. I mean, that team fought a lot in the dressing room. I don't mean physically fighting, but it, it argued a lot because it was, it wanted, it wanted it badly and it knew the pressure that we were under from the supporters in particular. So there was a lot of behind-the-scenes turning and flowing in that dressing room. But ultimately, you know, whether it was me arguing with Larson or Lambert or whoever, or Larson arguing with Vim Janssen, which happened quite a few times and, and, and it was quite heated, everybody wanted the same thing. And I, and I, I think that's what really bonded that, that dressing room in that particular year. As well as uh, scrapping with each other or getting physical, was there a lot of good part in the mm. dressing room as well? Did you all generally get on, aye? Yeah, I mean, I think that, well, when you say physical, I mean, I think there's a notorious Tosh and, and Henrik yeah. incident that happened in the training field. But apart from that, there was no 
physicality in the dressing room. That that was the only time that year it was an unfortunate incident, uh, particularly before an old firm game, uh, which obviously just made it even bigger news. But there's a lot of shouting and arguing and, you know, making sure people were pulling their weight. And I had 10 years at Chelsea, just under, when I left Chelsea, it was a great bunch of lads we had. We had a great mixture. And when I left, I had a tear in my eye because I'd been there so long and I thought, I'm never going to, I'm never going to see this again, this, this banter, this camaraderie. But when I went to sell, but that, and I can only speak for that year in particular, that was the greatest squad for determination, banter, piss taking, call it what you want, going to the golf together, going for beers together, dragging people with the scruff of the neck when it wasn't happening for helping people out. It was quite, an, and, I, and it had it not have been, we wouldn't have got through that season. So it, it and, you had to get in first to that dressing room at Celtic Park because if you had to get in first to make sure you were in a position every day to be dishing out the banter and the stick when other players come in. That's how good that dressing room was. It was it was fantastic. But you're talking there about piss taking and wind ups. Give us an example of the best one, Craig. Just general stuff in the dressing room, really. You know, I don't. There was a couple later on actually that involved either recess, but that was another year. <laughs> it was like, and he was daft. You know, Gilsey got the Gilsey got the the, the the he got the the, the most of it, Gilsey, because he was great. He came in and did a great job, particularly in that year, made some great saves. But he was daft as a brush, and he got absolutely hammered. And Tosh Tosh had the dry sense of humour, that dry Glaswegian sense of humour in particular, but. Uh, all the, and, and there was a little friction between the Scandinavian boys and the and the, the the British boys to start with, but only for a little while, and then that went away, and then everyone got on. Uh, but don't forget, back then we were training at Barrowfield, and I liked that because I tell you, it wasn't a great training ground, no facilities like they've got now most of the clubs. But we were changing at the club every day, Stevie. Uh, we were changing at Celtic Park every day, which was new to me. Because you really only see the ground once every couple of weeks. But when you're training every day, you get to know people. You get to know the tea lady and the laundry lady and the staff and the secretaries and the security. And you form a relationship. And and I, I for one, as good as training grounds are these days, I love that period where you were going to Celtic Park every morning and then driving to Barrowfield a couple of miles down the road trying to avoid a speeding ticket, which some of the boys didn't do. <laughs> But you were in there every day, you were getting a taste of the park, you were seeing the big Celtic Football Club sign as you pulled up every day. You were signing autographs, you were getting a bit of stick if the game hadn't gone well the week before. But you were getting a feeling about what the club was all about, because you were in there every day. It wasn't just somewhere where you went once a fortnight on a home game and played and then, then left again. That was our workplace, the same as it was a lot of people's workplace in different businesses because of the situation itself it with training grounds. And I think that, again, for me, that was a great experience to soak up uh, that particular time at the club. Getting to the on-the-park stuff now, Craig, you obviously you scored 15 goals in your debut season and every goal was massive for us. Was there one in particular that you're the most proud of? Well, I never expected to get... You know, I never expected to get fifth. In fact, I don't even think I thought about it. I just thought, I've got to come here. I've got to win the fans over. I've got to prove myself. I knew Scottish football, and particularly back then, was a very good standard. Uh, and we have to remember Hearts were in the title race that season till the last 
I'm guessing now three weeks or whatever it was, Rangers had a squad full of unbelievable players on, on huge wages coming in from Juventus and beyond. So we were under pressure. Uh, the Hearts goal was a special one because we battered them, I think it was November time, but couldn't score. And I got one again, Henrik down the left and a great cross, and I peeled off the back post, chested it down and put it in. And that gave us a very important three points. There was loads of that from different players on, on different games. But I can't think of any goal that would be more important than the obvious, which was the old firm game at New Year, mm-hmm. when when Paul and I scored. Uh, because two reasons. One, we played crap in the first old firm game at uh, Ibrox when golf scored. We just didn't turn up. We played better in the second one at Celtic Park when Stubbs just scored the equaliser, but it looked like we were going to throw the points away again and then more importantly had Rangers beaten us at Celtic Park on that January day we would have been seven points behind and, and I don't think we would have came back from that so the importance of that game and the pressure of that game was huge so that goal not as good as Lambo's goal obviously with that, 20, that screamer but that goal for me was you know it broke the ice it, you know it, it helped, us, helped us to get the three points it, it, it was part of a great performance from the team that day I never forget the, the smile on Vim's face when Lambo scored when the camera cut to him because he knew. And I remember Simon Simon Donnelly's dad said to me in the players' lounge after the game, "That Celtic fans will accept you now." And I was like, well, "What are you talking about?" He said, "Well, they'll accept now you've scored against Rangers, you're accepted." Now I don't know if that's true, Stevie or not. I can't. <laughs> I, I don't know. I just don't know. But I kind of thought, "Oh, right." So started thinking about it. You know, maybe maybe that is the case. I don't know. So. It was a huge goal for various reasons, uh, and it is the one that sticks out, and it's the one that I, I see the most of, of anybody's talking about that particular year. Well, you're mentioning Paul Lambert there as well, Craig, and when he came in um, just before the Rangers game at Ibrox, when golf scored, mm-hmm. how much a relationship did you have with him, and did you ever feel your game get lifted more with having a Champions League winner next to you as well? I had a... I had a I didn't know Paul particularly well, Adam, because we, you know, a little bit through the Scotland team. I, I was well aware of how his career had skyrocketed since leaving Scottish football and, and did a fantastic job at uh, Borussia Dortmund. And I knew we were trying to bring him in because we, we you know, kind of hear these things in the dressing room, what's happening. Uh, I knew they were looking to bolster the midfield, but uh, he struggled when he first came in, actually. In fact, I think he said he thought he was a bit of a jinx. So uh, he struggled to get get going a little bit. I think it was myself and Big Morton that was kind of in there, and Morton was such an underrated player I and mean, such a technically gifted, big, strong, powerful fella and lovely fella. But Paul was a different player, you know. As, as I'm sure Celtic fan, nobody has to hear me say it. He was a great reader of the game, and the fact that it became clear I was going box to box that season, almost every game. Uh, I think I only missed one game with injury. And I was the box-to-box player. It would seem fitting that we'd bring somebody in that was going to sweep up behind. And, and eventually, after a few little tweaks here and there, uh, Paul and I formed uh, a very good relationship on the park and off the park where we roomed together for both Celtic and Scotland uh, for quite a while, including the World Cup in France. So we formed a very good relationship, yeah, both on and off. We were both different. He was quiet, and in the day after getting the massages, sort of learned that German mentality. I was the more boisterous, 
you know, gone out with the lads and uh, we'd do it our way kind of guy. So we were different, uh, but we gelled well, uh, thankfully, along with Big Morton uh, as well and one or two others on the pitch. A lot of the guys who've came on the pod talking about in the starting the 10th season, they haven't went into the specifics on the dressing room in the game against St Johnston. The most we had was Mark Reaper who came on saying he wasn't that nervous, but you could tell a lot of the Scottish players were. Is that true? And if so, how did you cope with the nerves before that game? Uh, not very well. I don't think I was nervous. Uh, I'm surprised Big Big Reap said he wasn't nervous, but uh, no, because I remember the week before, obviously the Dunfermline game when we could have won it and, and we didn't, and it was it was such a sinking feeling. I can't. It's difficult to explain at the moment, but. Uh, I suppose not as much of a sinking feeling had that been the last game and we'd thrown it away, but the, the vision of that ball looping over Gildy's head, it's like slow motion now. And but I remember Tosh, who is, you know, obviously a very big Celtic supporter, always has been, never had that. He said, I remember in the, it was either in the dressing room or the boss, he said, this was meant to be, this was meant to be, we're going to win it at Celtic Park. And I thought, well, that's great, but I was quite happy for it to be meant to be one at East End Park at Dunfermline because I don't think anybody wanted to go back and do it that way. I think we wanted to go out to Celtic Park the following week with the t-shirts and the hats on and, and let's have a party because nobody really can enjoy and the, and the supporters couldn't enjoy it either. If you look at the cameras on the supporters going into the ground and during the game, they're biting their fingers off. So there was a lot of nerves and it wasn't great and... And I tell you, it wasn't a great week's build-up to that game in the training field. A lot of tension, a lot of arguing. Didn't actually stop one of the training sessions, and we just stopped down. We're in the dressing room, got shivered after I don't know half an hour, whatever it was. It was a lot of tension, uh, and I think that pressure was starting to, to tell. But fortunately, with a guy up front with long dreadlocks, got us off to a good start, so that kind of helped. And then when Harold scored the second as well, Harold was obviously maligned um, quite unfairly at times in that season, and you must have all been buzzing for him when he scored that goal as well. Yeah, Harold was uh, like most. I mean, this is the dressing room that uh, you know pretty much got on great. Harold was a lovely guy, and one of Harold's issues was he got himself in so many good positions that that, that he, he couldn't always score. You know, the, the the chances that happened were slim, and, and he missed a few, and he got affected by confidence and. He wasn't used to a big crowd like like a baying crowd at Celtic Park or even an away crowd where there's 10,000 on the road. You don't get that at Rosenberg in Norway. So these are new surroundings for a lot of players. So it was tricky for him at times, but 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 obviously that goal will be remembered and it was a nice... And it just was the icing on the cake because we needed to get it. But it was a, a surreal moment. It was a moment where I think we realised, well, that, that this is probably it. But yeah, to take it down to the last day was quite something but it made it taste it made when that whistle went it made it taste all the sweeter but it, it, it was for anybody with a weak heart it, it was heart attack material it really was after that as well when left and surreal sort of terms and um, could you um, even envision the Celtic career you would have under Dr Joe and then John Barnes because you must have thought it was just going to be going from strength to strength and then it didn't really turn out that way. It wasn't really your fault either, but what were your thoughts looking back on your Celtic career after it? 
Yeah, no, it was a bit of both. I mean, you know, I could do some some things differently, and I, I had injury problems. And a lot of the guys got injured coming off the World Cup. If you look at the stats, a lot of the guys who played for Norway or Denmark or Sweden and Scotland and, and England and whoever, a lot of the guys picked up injuries because we got no rest. We got maybe two weeks before we were in pre-season and we were gone again. And, and we played a lot of games the year before. Uh, I can't tell you the reaction to them going was was the majority of the dressing room were gutted. I think, and it's only my opinion, I think if Vim had taken another big job somewhere in England, there'd have been quite a few players looking to jump ship and go and join them. Because sometimes you don't always play for a club. Sometimes you do, but sometimes you play for a manager, especially the old-school managers. And I knew, and I could tell the disappointment from a lot of players when he left. Because the disappointment was we were on to something could have gone to who knows where in terms of a level but it never, it never got the chance to get off the ground apart from that hugely important season which which doesn't get any more important I suppose from a players and coaching perspective but you do like to take your good work on to try and get to the next level but we didn't get that and then we read the headlines about Bobby Robson coming in and Chris Hedding coming in and, and, and whatnot and and then Dr. Joe came in, and, and he was a nice fella, but it, it all went south from there, really, that next year or so. And then, obviously, they made some more changes as well. Did you ever feel as well that the fact that the media always claimed you were the outspoken one when it came to that pay dispute had a big effect on your Celtic career as well? No, and I don't think it, I don't think it was. I think everybody was quite outspoken. I remember we had a meeting about it, and... and when we played a we played a game in Ireland and we were meeting about it with Jock and it didn't go particularly well and I know a lot of, I know a lot of guys were a lot of guys I won't say who they were but a lot of the you just have to work it out a lot of the senior guys really senior raised their voices almost walked out of the room so there was a lot of us unhappy about it but but that's that's just looking back now it's probably thought oh, we should just have left it you know well you can't you can't win these battles but we're we're in our mid twenties you think you're invincible you think you're the most important thing going at the time. I mean, listen, a player is Celtic. Players come and go. You know, we're no more important than the piano player at the Radisson Hotel chain when he leaves. You know, at the end of the day, we're all replaceable. And sometimes you've got to take a backward step and think, you know, Celtic will still be there in 10 years. You know, you're just a player, you move on. And we got caught up in it a little bit. Uh, but I don't think that affected me, not, not at all. What happens here, Stevie, is people, things changed. Barnsley come in. I get on great with now, by the way, and I was work before moving to the States, I worked with John a lot. Kenny came in above him, uh, Eric Black was there, and then there was a change at the helm at the top. I think Alan McDonald, Alan McDonald was the, the chief exec. And I knew the writing was on the wall because players were Lambo and Stubbsy and a few players, oh, they're just talking to me about a new three-year deal. And then somebody else said, oh, they just said to me, we need to get you in a new three-year deal. And I thought, well, am I the last or I'm not getting one? So I, I, I clearly worked out... I wasn't getting one. Uh, they wanted to raise some money, Stevie. And this is the top, this is why the deal came about when I went to Derby. Celtic had to raise capital to bring in, wait for it, you know who I'm going to say, don't you? I don't know. Raphael. Of course, Raphael. Raphael Scheid. Celtic, Celtic, somebody, somebody at Celtic decided that paying 5.5 million for that player was a good idea. Now, I'm not suggesting any wrongdoings behind the scenes, but it begs questions. That's all. But somebody decided 
that was a good amount to pay. Now Celtic weren't in the ballpark and in the business back then. I'm selling out five and a half, six million cash for anybody, unless you could get cash for somebody else. So they had to look at sellable players. Larson had a broken leg. Probably wouldn't have sold him anyway. Viduka. Can't sell Viduka. Because Larson's broken his leg. He's the only other striker. Why would we sell him? So you start looking around. Plus, I don't think they like me particularly much anyway. I made a bid from Derby. And so they decided to sell me. I played hardball for three or four weeks just to piss Kenny off. Uh, because Kenny always likes to get his own way. And I, I played hardball because I knew they needed my sale to fund the, the deal for the, the big hopeless Brazilian. Uh, we didn't know it was hopeless at the time, but we, we, we kind of know now. And so I, I sat on that deal with the Derby for, for three or four weeks. And I used to go in every morning and the boys would say, Well, Burles, you still here? And I'd be like, I'm still here. And, and in the start, Kenny was threatening me with training at night under floodlights and all that. And I was like, I don't care. Do what you want. I don't care, honestly. Just, just get this done. Uh, so we got it done. Agreed with Derby. I wanted to go and play for Jim because Jim was a problem. And I had enough of all the bullshit that was flying around at the time. And Jim was a proper players manager, old school. Tells it as you as you see it. Tells you to your face. Derby were in need of some fresh players. So I went down there. Ironically, Stevie, the morning I was flying down to Derby to conclude my medical and sign. The terms had all been agreed. I'm in the house up in Newton Mearns and the wife says, there's a phone call for you. And I said, all right. She said, who is it? She said, it's John Barnes. I said, Barnes? I said, what is he on? I said, I'm leaving to go. So I said, Barnes, what is it? And he said, don't go. I said, sorry? He says, I don't want you to go. I said, I'm getting on a my baby flight to East Midlands in about two and a half hours time. I've agreed a fee, my terms with Derby, you've agreed a fee, I'm going to do my medical today. And he said, all I'm saying is I don't want him to go. I said, well, I've made up my mind, I'm gone. So, uh, clearly, and I think this is, uh, but it was an underlying problem throughout John's time, there were people pulling strings and pulling the rug from that particular guy's feet, which made his job as an inexperienced boss at such a big club even more difficult. But that was that was how that went. Uh, with John phoning me in the morning that I left to say don't sign. I mean you couldn't make it up. It, it's it's but I'd made my mind up anyway, Stevie. I was going it was time to go. Not I was gutted to leave Celtic. I loved the club. I loved my time there. I loved the people. It was the greatest time of my career. The boys were brilliant. But I had to get out of Glasgow. It was becoming unbearable for me. Uh, I just didn't like how you were smothered all the time. I enjoyed it to start with. But after three years, because I'm not a Glaswegian, I'm from down in Mining Village in, in Cumnock. I didn't like, I like my privacy to some extent. And I, and, I, and I just thought, some players can do 10 years at Celtic. And I, and I tipped my hat to them. You know, Paul McStay's of this world, there's been many great players they can do. You can do 10, 12 years, not a bother. Live in Glasgow, not a bother. I couldn't do it. I, three years and I was ready to go to a wee bit more normality uh, in the East Midlands. So uh, that's why I made... That was one of the... I made the decision to go, but Celtic had made the decision to try and push me to go as well. Uh, you know, it was, it was time to go and it was time for Celtic to move on to, to somewhere else. Uh, but Celtic supporters now get the wrong end of the stick with me. Uh, I'm critical of a lot 
of clubs. It's got nothing to do, and people bring this up a lot, including Chelsea fans, oh, you're a bitter ex-Chelsea player. I'm not bitter. You know, I left Chelsea nearly 20 years ago. I left Celtic, not because of Celtic Football Club, because individuals within that club and structure at the time decided they want to go in a different direction. Now, those individuals are like players. They're not like supporters who are there all the time. They're like players. They come and go. McDonald is not there anymore. Douglas Barnes, Black. The list goes on. So, there's nothing towards Celtic Football Club. It wasn't Celtic Football Club that sold me to Derby. It was Kenny Douglas and Alan McDonald primarily. So, I don't have any issue with the club. None whatsoever. If I've got any issue, it would be with those people, and I don't, because I don't hold grudges, and I realise everybody comes and goes in business, and people, managers have an opinion about certain players. One likes one player, one doesn't like another player. But in terms of the club, and people might find it hard to believe, because I am very critical, and I'm black and white, and when I leave a club, that's it, I'm gone, I'm out. I mean, I'm not a supporter of any club, but it was the, to have played there, Stevie, with that group of boys, in the old school training grounds, stopping in the row with those players, with Murdo, with Vim, with the staff behind the scenes, down at Angie's, Angie the laundry lady, down there every morning having a cup of tea and a chat and ordering bacon and egg rolls from upstairs and Vim going bananas when we're eating them 10 minutes before training. You know, <laughs> just all these wee things that, that, that we did and got on. I loved that. When you know, and I had three great years. You know, I was just under three great years. And... When, I'm, when I criticise any club, it's usually about something that's happened on the field. It has got absolutely nothing to do with the fact they sold me. Because a club never sells a player apart from on the paper. It is the, it is the individual at that time who is faced with the responsibility. And as we know, Celtic and all these other clubs have had more managers, coaches and directors of football than hot dinners. They come and go. Touching on the anti-Celtic stuff Craig right I know you've already said you were very black and white what I wanted to go into a bit more was um, in 2011 the controversy in that whole 2010-2011 season where you had the referee strike and Neil Lennon was coming in for life-threatening abuse and, and all that a lot of people were saying that you were anti-Celtic and I guess we've just got to challenge that and are they or not? No, well, I, I actually can't, I mean, whatever, in 2017, I, I can't remember any controversy. I'll be honest with you, I, I can't remember that. Uh, I, I can remember Neil Lennon getting some ridiculous uh, uh, stuff happening. Yeah, I can remember that. But uh, generally, I don't get involved in the politics of, of, you know, I can't condone and I'll never condone anything violent towards anybody, never mind in football, because it is only, you know, it's a game after all, but... But I don't, I don't, I never have, to my knowledge, really get involved with any political stuff. You know, anything I've done, Stevie, would be based on what's happened on, on the park or, or what I see as a good game or a good result or a good season or, or a bad season. And nothing would really uh, change that, from, from my opinion, in my, in, my, in my memory. I think one of the issues is, and, and I might be wrong, I don't know, is that there was a perception, and there is a perception, and I think we may have touched on this, that when you finish playing, and when I was hired, first of all, by Satanta Sports full-time, coming out of 
my professional career. I was hired as as a broadcaster, as a as an analyst, as a studio analyst, and then went on to commentary and other stuff. But I wasn't hired as an ex Celtic player. I wasn't hired as an ex Chelsea player. I wasn't hired as an ex Scotland player. Even I was just hired as a as, as an analyst and as a and as a broadcaster. And I've got a duty. And this is the way I've always seen it. I have a duty. Not to Celtic Football Club or Chelsea Football Club, two of the biggest clubs that I played for, but I've got a duty to the broadcaster to give my honest opinion. Now, I, I understand and I, and I get it and I do understand this and I haven't got a problem with it. Any supporters want to have a go at me uh, from the perception that it's anti-Celtic, but it's not. It is the fact that maybe at a particular time, and I had this in Glasgow Airport actually, uh, there was an old film game, you know, back 2007 or 8 or whatever it was and I was asked who I thought was going to win and at that time I said I thought the game next week would be won by Rangers because I felt at that time they were the stronger team so that's the way I went with it next day Glasgow Airport travelling back to East Midlands Celtic supporter come up to me he was uh, he wasn't he wasn't rude or aggressive but but he just made it clear that I shouldn't have picked Rangers as my team to win uh, the following Old Firm game, which I, and I was like, sorry. So, and that kind of typifies it, but I don't, maybe that's the perception, maybe that's how some supporters see it, Stevie, but that's not, that's not how I see it. So, I'm afraid we would have to beg to differ if, Celtic fans or any fans of the clubs that I played for thought that I was ever going to go into broadcasting and and be some sort of puppet or panderer for 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 that team. Uh, so so that's the way I've always seen it, and I I accept, I fully accept that a lot of fans don't see it that way, and that's where a lot of the stick comes from. And I and I I take that on the chin. I'm not particularly bothered about it, but that's a, that would be my perception of of my time broadcasting primarily in Scottish football. Uh, and I get this from Chelsea fans as well. Uh, you know, you're better against Chelsea. Uh, it's, the same, it's the same thing. So I haven't, haven't got an issue with it, but that my explanation would be that I'm hired to broadcast. I'm not hired to work for Celtic TV. Uh, and thus, I have to judge things as I see it. And a lot of people take that the wrong way. What was your thoughts then on... Yeah ex-teammate Jason Cundy's part about Scottish football in general and his attack on Celtic? Well, I think Jason... I'm good friends with Jason. I mean, we grew up together. He's a little bit older than me. Uh, but we were in the youth team at Chelsea together. I I, I, I saw some of it, not all of it. Uh, I, I knew as soon as he said it, he was going to bring the heat on. Uh, I, I think he was trying to base the... You know, he was... And I might be wrong here, but he was basing size of club on, on Twitter followers, mm-hmm. uh, which is never going to wash. Uh, uh, and obviously then he refused to back down as Jason wouldn't, and he's, he's drumming up stuff for a radio programme and drumming up interest, and then it got into the whole Scottish football scenario, who's the best, who's the worst, Celtic would do this in England, England teams would do this in Scotland. And it all got a bit messy, and I think when you go down that road, there's only, there's, there's only really one outcome. I mean... I actually did go on TalkSport. I do, I do go on once a week just from here just to help the guys out on, on Andy Goldstein's uh, sports bar just for five minutes. And, and, you know, Andy asked me, is Celtic a big club or not? And I was like, of course they're a big club. They're one of the biggest clubs, 
in, in Europe. Uh, it's just the fact that the circumstances surrounding uh, the finances, the league, and the calibre of player that, that was previously at the club and, and what they're trying to rebuild means that they're not obviously as big a threat on on the European front. But I think when you start arguing about size of clubs and and if you've not been to Celtic Park and seen the ground and the atmosphere and the travelling support, then I, I you know, I, I don't think it's an argument that Jason was ever going to win, Stevie, but it was an argument that he got himself into and then obviously he took the heat and went back down. But hey, that's what he does and he'll, he'll probably still stick by that to this day and age, but I didn't agree with him. I didn't agree with him on the, the size of the club at Celtic, no, for sure. Two more things then, Craig. Now, the first one was in 2015. I think you had said that you couldn't bear to watch Scottish football anymore, and there was a couple of quotes mm-hmm. that you said you thought you thought Scottish football was embarrassing. Is that just paper talk? Did your quotes get spun? Or what, what's your genuine opinion on it? No, no, but I don't watch it because I don't. Uh, uh, we don't cover it. We cover, you know, Premier League and, and La Liga and, and Champions League and. Then we do a couple of Celtic when when we're talking about the Champions League and stuff. But but uh, I, I, I mean I understand the difficulties, right? And this is and this goes back to what people will say to me. Uh, and it's very rarely I get into a conversation about this unless it's with like yourself because I, I just don't I just don't go there these days. I, I I wasn't working on Scottish football for a long long time. I was primarily based in England covering the English stuff. But when I first started. Broadcasting back in 2003-04 full-time, I was on Scottish every week full-time, and I loved it. I would criticise and I would praise, but the standard was good. Beyond Celtic and Rangers, there were good teams, there were strong teams, and and it was exciting, and, and it was decent to watch, if not good to watch. But my own personal opinion, and... And I don't touch it now because I would have to give an honest answer and say, and people will shuck away from this because I, I you know, I, would, I think embarrassing is the wrong, maybe maybe the wrong terminology, but I think poor. I think poor would be a, a very fair reflection. You don't have to look at the Scottish national side, okay, not all Scots-based players, but a fair chunk of them. It, it's a difficult time for these clubs, and I understand that. Uh, and I understand it's not Celtic's issue, which people would always say to me, but it doesn't detract from the fact that it's a poor standard uh, beneath Celtic. There's no, there's no getting away from that, and it's not healthy. And what kind of annoys me to a certain extent is I've had umpteen conversations with ex-players, managers, pundits. They'll all say, Stevie how bad it is and how embarrassing it is, but it's a job for me and I get a wage. But they won't be objective if asked about it on a platform or on or, or on air. So unfortunately I will. And, and that's just the way I am, but but others others don't let don't let many fool you or fool anybody that they think this product is great. They they push a narrative that they think suits them. But I've spoken to a lot of these people over the years behind the scenes and they absolutely rubbish it behind people's back. That's how they are. But I'm not like that, so it's just the way I am. I'll, 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 you know, I'll, I'll call it as I see it. And so I understand the people's frustration that they 
sort of shield them, try and shield themselves from the criticism. But there's such a big gap that Celtic have got a little stronger and a lot stronger, and the rest are just not catching up. And and that makes for a poor product in general. And it really gives only Celtic one avenue to try and get even more success, and that is to try and punch some holes in the European competition again. But but it is what it is, and the people that follow it. And I know in BT Sport in particular do, uh, and, and I'm not taking away from Sky because I know Ian Crocker and that's a good friend and he does his best, but I think BT Sport in particular, where I know a lot of people there, try and push it and, and try and make that product the best that they can week in, week out. But it's it, it's difficult. It's difficult and, and, and there's no getting away from it. But I, I generally, Stevie, don't... Uh, I generally just try and stay away from it now. That's what I try and do. I try and do it very rarely if you... If anybody checks my Twitter line over the next, you know, over the last 12 months or whatever, I generally just try and stay away from it because it's not it's not really worth it or helping anybody just to say, oh, it's, if somebody asks me, I may give an honest opinion, but I try and just generally stay away from it. But it's not it's not bashing Scottish football for the sake of bashing Scottish football. I praised it quite a lot during the early years of covering it, but then when it had its decline, uh, and again, this is, no fault of Celtic who have run their ship particularly well and how they've run that, that financial side extremely well. But but it has become poor and it's got worse. And and again, not once did one of my bosses say to me, You must you must do a commentary or you must do a studio and you must tell people how this is actually okay. No, nobody's ever said that to me. Not one of my bosses, not one of my executive producers not one of the companies that I've ever worked for, be it BBC or, or whoever, and nobody's ever said that to me. So I'm not, and I never have been in a position where I have to push something that that, that I don't believe in. And it is, it is at the moment what it is. And I, I reiterate this for people who may find it difficult to digest. I understand it's not the fault of Celtic Football Club, but having something, and I touched on this with you earlier, how, how important it was, I felt, to have a three-horse race in 98 when we won that league in Stockton in a row and how exciting and how nervous it was and how gratifying it was from a player's point of view and I'm sure a supporter's point of view. Because it was so tense, to have that taken away really, I think, just takes the edge off things. And I think the sooner clubs get stronger and start challenging Celtic, then I think that's only a good thing for Celtic and, and probably... And surely it'll be a good thing for Scottish football. We'll say, hypothetically, if you had to come back over to Scotland um, and you get the chance to be a pundit here again. I would need a suit. I think I would need a suit of armour. I think I would need <laughs> something. I, uh, I know all the boys. I mean, for those, there are those that this, 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 oh, yeah, you, you know, you're in America and that's the only place you can get a job and we sent you to me. That's, you know, it's just nonsense. I, I, and I, I think I might, might have explained it. I was so busy uh, travelling around England in particular, working between you know the Premier League's overseas production, which is a seven-day-a-week operation going around the world, and, and uh, ESPN, as it was at the time, and BBC Five Live and, and others. I was I had so much work, it was, it was uh, eating into just not being at home. So, you know, nothing could be further from the truth in terms of being over here uh, because I didn't, couldn't get any work. That being said, I'm sure there's not a lot of Scottish people who would want to see me back on the Scottish, but I haven't got an issue with that because sometimes they only hear and want to hear 
what's what's going to be positive. Uh, I, I don't think that will happen. I, well, I've got a five-year contract here, so I'm, I'm contracted through 2021. Uh, they recently improved my, my contract through 2021 for, for uh, a thing of five years. Uh, the bulk of my work was in England, Stevie, anyway. Uh, would a, would a, if, if, if in years come, was I came out back and they said, oh, go on, would I do it? And would I take the stick? Yeah, I would. If that's what. And would I put my heart and soul into it? Yeah, yeah, I would. You put your heart and soul into it. If they told me tomorrow at my work here in the US, you cover Major League Soccer, which I don't do. We have American colleagues that do that. But if they said to me, you're covering Major League Soccer, which is not the greatest of standards, I would put my heart and soul into it, and I would do it. They might not like it if I pick up and stuff, but I would put my heart and soul into it. So that was how I, that's how I would approach covering uh, Scottish football, which in all fairness, I think is what BT Sport in particular, as I said to you, do. They, they, they do the best they can uh, and try and make it as interesting as they can with, with what they've got. But to be honest, you know, I think Scottish football's moved on to, I mean, one or two different people, and I've moved on as well. So uh, it, it was what it was. My, my What people don't understand is way back in the day, uh, when, when when people were getting upset, my, you know, but my, my bosses were very happy. You know, it's, it's, we're in an opinion business. You, you, you talk to people on podcasts, lots of people, you don't talk to them for blandness, you talk to them for an opinion. Now, we might not like or agree with everybody's opinion, of course, but that, that's why you do a podcast and because you like to get the opinions of other people as well as your own and your friends and then you talk to people from different eras and different backgrounds and they give you an opinion. That's what I've always done and my bosses have always been, been great with that. Unfortunately, there's a lot of supporters from all clubs can't, can't, quite, can't quite grasp the fact that you once played for somebody but you you know, you're not pushing the narrative for that club now and or that league now or even that country now. Don't forget George Burley was manager of Scotland and and he was my uncle, he's my dad's brother, my dad's only brother. And I was as hard as George Burley when he was having a bad time and we were covering it. We were actually covering Scotland with Satanta Sports at the time, we had the rights. So I was bang in the middle of the family and I didn't I didn't afford my uncle, my dad's brother any leeway. So, why, why am I going to afford a football club or a league? It's just not the way that business works. If you if you're true to yourself and true to to what your job is. Well, also as well, right? I'm not going to mention the name of the site, Craig. Um, I don't want any sort of fallout from it. But there's a there's a line here, right? And this site says that you moved over to the US for football punditry. And the big part is it says once you had burnt your bridges in Scotland and very few were sad to see you go. Did you burn your bridges here in Scotland, Craig? Uh, no, because because I wasn't working in Scotland. Uh, and I've, you know, when Satanta Sports started, it was all Scottish. And then they they purchased, amongst other stuff, you, you know, the English Premier League. And they moved me onto the English Premier League. I wasn't working in Scotland. John Hartson and, and, and Terry Butcher came in and filled my slot that I'd been doing for four years. I moved on to the Premier League with John Champion and Steve McManaman and, and, and Ian Crocker. And then when Satanta folded, ESPN UK came in and I started initially on the Scottish again with Derek Ray, brilliant, like Ian Crocker, brilliant commentator, good guy. And, and the same thing happened because they 
they thought I was doing a good job and they moved me they moved me back onto the English and I wasn't the only time I was doing any Scottish football at, at the end Stevie before ESPN pulled out in 2013, the only time I was doing any Scottish football was when it didn't coincide with me doing the studio for the English Premier League Saturday uh, 5 o'clock game, which wasn't many weeks because I either couldn't get up for the Sunday game in Inverness or the Scottish game was on a Saturday. So I didn't burn my bridges. I was working on it until both those companies moved me onto, onto what would be their... Gold Star product, which is the Premier League, and so I, I didn't burn my bridges. They they moved me. Now, you know, supporters. As somebody said to me, I was banished. I was punished. Somebody said to me, or a few people, I said I was punished by those companies and taken off Scottish football. And I'm like, do you, do you really think taking somebody from, with all respect, you know, Inverness versus Hibs or Hamilton? Onto Man City, onto the Premier League as a punishment. It was, it was, a, it was a, an acknowledgement of the work I had been doing and had done before. So, so maybe they do think I've burned bridges. I, I don't know. But what I can say on both occasions, I was moved. It was probably Derek Ray enjoy because he was he was in the, he was getting all the flack alongside me. He was getting collateral damage uh, from other punters. There was one time at Samaritan they were trying to get on the gantry actually. Uh, because of some Chinese whispers that actually weren't even true, and and uh, we had to get the security onto the gantry. So I'm sure there it was a little quite tough. But, but the truth of the matter is, is that whilst punters maybe thought I was a bit harsh, both companies moved me onto their uh, their flagship programmes, and that's that's just fact. If you anybody goes back and checks uh, both companies at the time, uh, I was working uh, with John Champion at Satanta and Stephen Manaman. When it folded, and I was working with Ray Stubbs and Kevin Keegan in the English studio with ESPN. Uh, and Derry Ray was getting a new partner every week. Uh, Stephen Keegan, uh, amongst several people who they were using in co-commentaries along with Daryl Curl, because I wasn't available to do it anymore. So that, that's the simple fact of that matter. And people can people can see it as they want. It's not it's not an issue. I know, I understand. David, I understand you rub people up the wrong way and some people just have got a memory like an elephant. They won't forget it. But I understand that, mate. It's not a problem. I, I take the stick. I've got a thick skin. I accept it. And I put myself out there to be shot at. So it has nothing to do with Celtic, as I've explained to you on this podcast. I had a wonderful time at that club with those players and, and people like John Clark, the kit man, and you know, just great people behind the scenes. But it's a job, and I've got a duty, and I've always had a duty to, to do my job and, and do it properly and strongly. And that's what I'm doing now. And as Americans don't like me, it's not this is not a patent for Scottish people. They don't own it. As Americans don't like me. So don't 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 fret Scottish football fans. There is lots of other people who don't like me as well. It's just just the nature of the world we live in. And finally then, on to the social media aspect, Craig James at the GigPod team, he asked me to ask you, how do you cope with the constant sort of negative part that you get on Twitter? Because I know you're saying you're very black and white, and I personally, speaking to you here on the phone, I don't think you go home worrying about it and stuff, but has there ever been a time where you've ever thought, do you know what, I can do without this? No, not really. I, I, you know, I suppose when I first went on it, but... but uh, 
you know, I, I just tend to use sarcasm now, and, I, and otherwise I, I don't read a lot of it because I, I just scroll through it and just leave it. Uh, and I find uh, it, it's just part of the job. Yeah, it's just part. It's part of the job. I've got, but you know, I, I, unfortunately, I've just been back in the UK. My uh, my mum passed away two months ago. Right, she was quite young, and so I was back. I'm, I'm not in Scotland much, but my best mate, well, one of my good friends, came down from Glasgow to come up. And he's a Celtic season ticket holder for, well, he's been gone for over 50 years. Uh, Robert Williams, uh, all the players know him. He talked to any of the players about we Robert. He was always at the park. No bigger Celtic fan, all his family. And he just says to me, he always says, never mind the bam pots. Because the real, the real people can see through it, you know what I mean? You've got to have an opinion. Not everybody agrees with your opinion. That's what they love about it. You know, you'll have an opinion and everybody's entitled to it. But I don't take it serious. I really don't take the social media side of it uh, serious at all. I, I quite enjoy it. And I don't... The ones that annoy me the most, Stevie, are the ones that the ones will send you like a dozen tweets in three minutes. You know what I mean? They're like, like... And it's not even rude. It's just smart ass, And it's just continuous... I much prefer the ones that come on and call you every un, every name under the sun and then just leave it for a bit. They're, they're fine. It's the, it's the nuisance ones that, that are sat somewhere have nothing better to do. If, if you're going to do my job, right, if you're going to do my job, if you, wanted to, if you wanted to be a popularity contest, you're in the wrong business. And if you expect to have a pat on the back, and there's lots of pundits out there, both in England and Scotland, and all they want, apart from making a few quid out of this job, is to have accolades and applaud, uh, you know, pats on the back and applause and appreciation from supporters of clubs they play for. Right, the games, the media is full of them. But, but I'm honestly not like that. I'm, and, and I'm the opposite. If I'm getting too much, if I'm getting any of that, I think I'm not doing my job right here. So I'm not going to get a pat on the back. You know, I don't go to Celtic supporters functions in New York and, and, and wherever and I've been invited before and I don't go to after dinner speakers for clubs or I don't go to Chelsea functions I made a conscious decision to distance myself from players that I played with from managers that I worked with and from clubs as soon as I went into the media I had jumped that fence and I, and I did not want to be fraternising on a touchline or in a function with supporters or players and then the next week or the following month, I'm on a gantry or in the studio and I'm criticising them because they've made a mistake. I didn't want to be that guy shaking the hand one day and stabbing them the next day. So I made a conscious decision when I started full-time broadcasting, which is way back in, in early 2000, that I had to be the other side of the fence. And, 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 and I'm still on that side of the fence and that'll never change as long as I do this job. Podcast Network. With Lucky Landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to. Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. 
Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.